Zada Hunsa de ne TVO Radiri Hoenata. You are listening to a TVO podcast. Sovereignty is the ability for a people to make their own decisions, to speak and be heard. For Indigenous people battling generations of colonization, we express our sovereignty in many different ways. Through living our lives as our authentic Indigenous selves, through our leadership, stories, and teachings, and through our art. Join us, Chris Beaver and Shelby Lisk, on The Art of Sovereignty. In each episode, we explore the history and lives of First Nations artists who would not let others define them. They fought against the currents and used their work and their influence to break barriers and bring Indigenous perspectives to the forefront. The following podcast mentions residential schools. The Indian Residential School Crisis Line is available 24 hours a day, for anyone experiencing pain or distress as a result of their residential school experience. You can call 1-800-721-0066. Please take care while listening. Sego sewagwagon, Shelby Yungyats, Liste waksanazre, Geningehaga ni wakunjodon, Danon waginyantan, Gundege nidiwagenu, I'm Shelby Lisk, a Ganyangehaga artist and journalist from Tyndanaga Mohawk Territory. From TVO Podcasts, this is The Art of Sovereignty. One day, acclaimed Gaina artist Faye Heavyshield heard a knock on her door. She was expecting a representative from an institution coming by to see a recent work they had purchased. When she opened the door, the woman on the other side was visibly surprised. There stood Faye, short in stature, long wisps of gray hair, black-rimmed glasses that accentuate the piercing gaze of her brown eyes. Based on her minimalist sculptural work, the woman had assumed that Faye was not Indigenous, because her work did not look Indigenous. I didn't sculpt a statue of myself as a young, white, hippie chick from Nova Scotia. (laughs) (laughs) So what makes something Indigenous art? Is it the heritage of the maker, the imagery that is depicted, the materials that are used? What makes something art for that matter? The oldest indigenous art that has been found on this land dates back over thousands of years. And I bet you there's as much, if not more, indigenous art being made at kitchen tables as there are being made in art studios right now. Art historians and anthropologists have been trying to draw a neat box around indigenous art since well before Norval Morisot. But just as Indigenous culture is not one thing and does not just exist in one place, for Faye, art is not just one thing and does not just exist in the studio or the gallery. I really try to emphasize that culture is not this. And same with art. You know, art is not, you don't go into the other room and all of a sudden you're an artist, you're going to make art and whatever comes out of that room is art. That compartmentalization, it really fragments that whole wholeness. Speaking with Faye, her impeccable wit and humor were front and center. She has a way about her that is familiar to anyone who has spent time with Indigenous aunties. There's an ease she has upon meeting you, and she does not shy away from poking fun. And her deep reflections on her art, stories, and language can leave you thinking for days. I chatted with her over video call while her granddaughter sat beside her, helping with the technology, one headphone in each of their ears. Her home was so full of warmth. Grandkids and other family members came in and out. 
everyday life was happening around her. As we spoke, Faye told me about her art and life. I'm Faye Heavyshield. My parents were Eddie and Adelaide Heavyshield. I'm from the Kainai Nation, Ghana, which is part of the Blackfoot Confederacy here in southern Alberta. I live and work in Standall. My practice includes imagery, digital imagery, audio, some performance, drawings. I speak Blackfoot. Blackfoot is my first language. I've been making art since mid-1980s or so. I would say my work is rooted in who I am. At the age of 26, Faye entered the Alberta College of Art and focused her work on her identity as a gyno woman. She revisited her family memories and the experiences imprinted on her as a child. Faye began to combine her memories and personal stories with materials like bones, grass, and wood, reflecting the environment and geography of southern Alberta with its prairie grasses and river coolies. I remember the first time I saw Faye Heavyshield's work. I was an art student at the time and walking around the National Gallery of Canada. The sprawling installation consisted of cones, reminiscent of teepees, in shades of pink, brown, beige, tan, red, covering the gallery walls. On closer inspection, the tiny cone sculptures reveal themselves to be close-up photographs of human skin. As I walked along the wall, I could feel the movement created by the installation. I saw a map, bodies, flesh, hide, a community. That was her piece called Body of Land. Faye's art is all about storytelling, listening and hearing. Even a simple story or explanation from her sounds like poetry. Here's a quote from Faye. One of my earliest and strongest memories is that of my father skinning a deer. The beauty of the animal's eyes, serene in death, the smell of blood, the crackle of fat as the hide was peeled away, and the great taste of the meal my mother cooked. This image, and others I saw later, in the statues of Jesus on the cross, in the architecture of the old homes, the teepee poles before the skin or canvas, and structures left over from Sundance. Her artwork is often accompanied by her writing. Her 1995 installation, Venus as Torpedo, included an audio tape of stories taken from Faye's personal journal. The low volume draws the audience nearer to hear its contents. Upon a closer listen, you can hear a quiet chorus of Blackfoot being spoken in the background, along with sounds of birds and running water, taking you out of the gallery space and into the artist's stories. For Faye, her writing and visual art are not separate. They are both components of who she is. In the catalog for her exhibition entitled Blood, Faye shares a series of poems that give a glimpse into her life growing up. Inside, our house at the north end was crowded with side-by-side life, quiet when the sun went down. Outside, a pattern with small red and white beads on tar paper siding meant to look like brick. One might say, how traditional living in a beaded house watching Alfred Hitchcock presents and listening to Foster Hewitt. 
For the blood exhibition, Faye created four artworks exploring aspects of the word. Blood ties, blood red, and her home community of the blood reserve. Blood is familiar. It may be the name of a color, red or rust according to time, or a place, the blood reserve. It may be for giving birth, for girls each month to let it leave. It may be a sight of wounds, life draining into the ground, dear brother familiar. In 1992, Faye's work caught the attention of Salto artist Robert Houle, who was curating an exhibition of contemporary Indigenous artists at the National Gallery of Canada. Houle put Faye's contribution out in front as the first thing you saw when you entered the landmark exhibition, Land, Spirit, Power. Faye's work continued to push Indigenous art into new realms, proving that Indigenous art could include minimalist sculptural installations. What made it Indigenous art then went beyond purely how it looked and integrated the storyteller and her experiences. If Indigenous artists are making abstract or minimalist art that is informed by our histories, memories, languages, and stories, then it is deeply rooted in Indigenous ways of knowing. Faye's art shows us that Indigenous and contemporary are not mutually exclusive. In fact, they are necessary to express the nuanced truths of her life. In other words, this peaceful, lonely, wonderful, fucked up, endless place called home. Faye grew up in a landscape that she describes as reassuring. Not just the physical space of home, but the extension of what it means to her, which includes family, language, and being confident in her place in the world. A major influence in my life was my dad's mom. My grandmother, Kate Three Persons, uh, Sami Chikana. And for the first maybe six years or so of my life, we lived at the north end of the reserve where my father managed the band ranch. So we lived quite isolated from the rest of the reserve, from the rest of the community. We lived in this river valley. We were um, animals. Later on, maybe TB was introduced into the home, but for the most part, it was Blackfoot. My early childhood was very rooted in my senses. The language I heard, the words I heard, the stories I heard, my imagination came from there. So I imagined in Blackfoot because I was listening to these stories. Faye was greatly influenced by the stories her grandmother told her. Stories of a nappy trickster who travels around getting into trouble. Stories of heroes who learn to be courageous and kind and many that explained how the land formations came to be. One of her grandmother's stories that stood out to Faye is about the gift of the Sundance ceremony. In that story, a woman is taken to the sky because she falls in love with Morningstar. But when she doesn't follow warnings and picks a wild turnip, she sees her home camp from the sky and becomes overwhelmed with homesickness. Instead of being reprimanded, the sun and the moon allow her to go back home to her family and they send her home with a ceremony for her people. We would hear them over and over again, you know, and it was probably through osmosis that, you know, that imagination and, and even learning about what I consider our real history, you know, that it was told in Blackfoot. And I know at one point those things happened. Faye includes her traditions in both her art and her poetry, 
For the blood exhibition, she drew two trees side by side directly on the gallery wall, each with a set of dates in the graphite branches. The trees are in honor of her parents and include their birth and death years, referencing the Gaina tradition to place their deceased in trees. At rest, in the arms of this tree, going home, wrapped in your riches of good deeds, bravery, and grace, we sing piercing me so ahead they may know it's you in the arms of this tree coming home. During our conversation, I asked Faye how she translates her experiences and memories into her art. I think it's as simple as as deciding at the beginning to be true to what occurs to you. If it is about the color, that's what you begin with. Like if it's about the color of you know, the bleach grass that you, that's all you see for miles. But there could be so many points of departure from that space where all these things start to feed into that concept of what's been presented to you. I don't know about the word translate because that really kind of to me seems like I'm trying to put it into a language that other people will know, but to be honest, I think that the language that I'm using, I understand it. And for me, that's good enough. I trust that the art itself or the, the image that occurs to me initially, I trust in the strength of that, that it will communicate itself. Faye has said before that she will not try to dress up a memory because that would just weigh it down. And so she finds subtle ways to share her stories and memories with her audience. It did start from those stories that my grandmother told because she would tell us these stories and I would hear these stories like over and over and over. But in the telling, when we would all be sitting around her in the dark, her voice would proceed. It would seem like there was no more storyteller. It was just a story. And to me, I recognized it as an opening for anyone to enter into the story and to participate. I see them as really having provided a foundation of these senses and memories, what grew into this vocabulary that I use in my work now. When I look at Faye's art, I start to understand the way she may have felt as a little girl listening to her grandmother's stories. I can feel the Alberta wind on my skin. I can see it moving through the tall grass. I can see the landscape outstretched in front of me. The artist recedes and you step into a prairie, into a story, into Faye's world. For her piece, many voices, one story, one voice, many stories. She created an airy column of figures suspended from the ceiling. Small paper cutouts depict people walking, children playing in the grass, or doing cartwheels. Suspended, they sway in air currents created as visitors move past, becoming a part of the environment. On the floor is a circle covered with a laser print transfer of prairie grass. Like in that artwork especially, the figures are, are the same imagery as the circle on the ground. And so there's that connection also, you know, there's that movement of their either landing or ascending, but they're also connected to that grass because the figures themselves are made out of these digital images of grass. 
you know, there is movement when even the part about when you approach the work, you know, these strings of figures are so light that you communicate with them because you're pushing out the air in front of you. And so they turn to face another figure or they spin. And so they're giving you something to look at physically by moving. Faye says it was her grandmother's stories that taught her how to listen. At those times of storytelling, when we would be sitting around my grandmother, we we learned a lot of different things, not just about the story itself, but also there was a protocol. And to this day, I'm taken aback sometimes when someone is telling a story or reading something and people who are waiting to hear it, it's almost like they can't wait to interrupt to say, oh, what happens next? What happens next? And that, it was just unheard of at those times of storytelling. And so there's that art of listening where you absorb what's being told. Choice is a word that came up a lot in my conversations with Faye. As a little girl in residential school, Faye was stripped of choices or taught that hers weren't right. And the attempts to strip autonomy from Indigenous people continue to this day in the form of the child welfare system, in government policies that continue to enact paternalistic relationships with Indigenous communities. But in Faye's artwork, she found a place where she was in charge of everything that happened. She is not interested in conforming her art to meet the expectations of others. The most important thing to Faye is that she's true to herself. In my early years and my art practice is the more I made decisions, the stronger I became, the more confident I became. I realized you're being told that, okay, this is your choice. You can choose to be this or you can choose to be that. And in retrospect, those were not choices at all, because even when I was in school for women, okay, you can be a nurse or a a teacher or a secretary. Those are not choices. Those are three boxes that were seen to fit. And so as my practice continued, that's what I realized is that I need to make choices. I need to make sometimes wrong choices, but I'm listening to this voice that's telling me, okay, well, no, maybe that's not the way, that's not the way. And so you're developing at the same time this relationship with your art. And it's strengthened even more by this decision-making process. For over a decade, Faye has been what she calls a cultural worker in her community. She works closely with youth in care and sees how the lack of autonomy deeply affects them. She helps to provide them with connections to community, family, and culture. For youth, especially in care, you know, I I see really the main thing that I saw when I was in residential school is that level of, that's expected of you, of being compliant. You know, so you go through life, you're nodding, you're nodding, you're nodding. And when you exit that system, if that's all you know, you're in big trouble. Especially now, you know, with young people that are in care, they come out of it and they're so used to saying yes, just to stay out of trouble. I see that as the big difference of what my art has given me is that I'm the boss. And it, it has given me that autonomy. Faye depicts familiar stories and places in her work that come from her community. She doesn't want to draw boundaries around aspects of her life. Faye, the artist... Faye, the community worker, 
Faye the grandmother. Inspiration can come from anywhere, and it's all connected. As a part of Faye's work, she takes youth to important sites in the Blackfoot Nation. On top of a grassy hill, overlooking the Bow River in southern Alberta, is a series of nine round cairns, piles of stones used as markers. The piles of rock can almost look accidental at first glance, but upon closer inspection, they must have been brought there by human hands. The site has seen continuous religious use for over 4,500 years, making the Majorville Medicine Wheel one of the oldest religious or spiritual monuments in the world. There's this very sacred place to Blackfoot people. The English name is Majorville Medicine Wheel. We had been planning to visit this site. There was a young man from one of the group homes, my grandson, my son, who drove for us. And in other vehicles, there were some caseworkers, the elder. When they got to the site, the elder made a tobacco offering. As he started to speak about the place, he began with a familiar story to Faye. It was about a woman who fell in love with Morningstar, but was allowed to come back to Earth when she became homesick. When the elder was talking about it at the site, he said this is where she landed. This is where she came back to Earth. And she traveled down on them. Um, to me, I imagine it like, um, you know, like a spider's web. I'll never forget that day when I heard him say that because I always knew that those stories were real, but I didn't know how real. For me to know that I was standing in that exact spot where this woman came back down to earth, you know, after having that experience, it was just amazing. Majorville Medicine Wheel and the stories surrounding it inspired Faye's exhibition, Calling Stones, Conversations. She created a video and four installations including those papery figures suspended by spider-like strings in Many Voices, One Story, One Story, Many Voices. She also revisited drawings she had started years earlier. Two or three years before that, I had, I know this sounds kind of like mystical and stuff, but I used to think about this little drawing where there was the side of a hill, and then there would be little figures, and I would sketch these little drawings, but I could never tell if they were climbing or, you know, what they were doing. But there were figures on the side of a hill. And so that same day we went, and that's that's a major site for collecting um, calling stones. They're called Iniskim. They're buffalo calling stones. Anyhow, I sat down and I started taking pictures, always taking pictures with my phone. And later, as I was looking back through my pictures on my phone, I saw these people on the side of the hill, and so I made it into this huge wall piece where I used just squares of paper, of grass images, and then just line drawings on acetate of different people. They were all coming from the heavens. And so to me, that was my tribute to the holiness of that story and the storytellers. Faye's art creates connections between the old stories of her youth and the contemporary world in which she lives. Her art draws lines between history and the present day, and she offers us a worldview that connects us all, those who came before and those who are yet to come. I mean, they can't be anything else but me because 
that's what I was born into. And that's where all my experiences growing up, you know, they added to it. They imbued my existence with memory, with hope and creativity. But I believe it was already there with my grandmother, with my parents. One time I was at, I was someplace and they were singing a song. The wind was blowing and this song that was being sung, I realized that, you know, the sound of that song, the wind had carried it from way back. That was the same song they would have been singing. And the sound never disappeared. You know, it didn't go silent. But actually, physically, it reached my ears. How many years later? How many decades later? And so there's that continuum of not just the spirit, but the physical, the senses as well. I like to remember that, you know, that it, it was almost like that song never died. What makes Faye Heavyshield's art, Indigenous art, is everything about her. No one else could share the particular story she shares, as a woman from the Blood Reserve in southern Alberta, as a residential school survivor who was influenced by her experiences there as well, as a granddaughter and a grandmother, as a storyteller and listener. Faye's art has given her a place to be who she is, and the ways she expresses that, in her words and immersive installations, give us a glimpse into her world. Being an artist rescues me. I own everything in my artwork. I own my thoughts. I acknowledge where they come from, the history, the sources, but whatever I make as art belongs to me. I have ownership. Not everyone has that privilege to step out of a place where there's despair, where there's hunger, or that sameness of, okay, this is what my parents did, this is what my aunts and uncles do. I know it exists for too many people, but for myself being an artist, that's what makes it all the more of worth to me. That's why I have to be responsible. I have to be truthful to my work, to my art, because it is a precious thing. I see it as a privilege. If you'd like to see the images referred to in this episode, check out the links in the show notes. The Art of Sovereignty is written and hosted by Chris Beaver and Shelby Lisk. Produced by Ozzy Michelin and Katie O'Connor. Edited by Chris Beaver, with assistance from Matthew O'Mara. Lori Few is the executive producer for Digital at TVO. Production assistance from Jonathan Hallowell, Nikki Ashworth, and Albert Wisco. Music by Bedtracks. We'd like to thank the artists and curators who made time to speak with us for the series. Special thanks to the Art Gallery of Peterborough, the Power Plant Gallery, Carleton University, and especially Wanda Nanabush and the Art Gallery of Ontario.